the Glow Journal podcast, a conversation with the beautiful minds behind the world's biggest beauty brands. I'm your host, beauty writer Gemma Watts, and in this honestly surreal Australian exclusive, I am joined by Erin Lauder. Erin Lauder needs no introduction and no words can really do this woman justice, but I am going to try my best. Erin Lauder is, of course, the granddaughter of the late Estee Lauder. She is the founder and creative director of her eponymous brand, Erin, and the former senior vice president and creative director, now style and image director, of Estee Lauder. I had written initially that Erin is beauty industry royalty, but on reflection I feel that that title almost negates the decades that she has spent working for the Estee Lauder companies. It doesn't do her justice and I'm not sure that any title really would. It's Erin who has managed to strike that incredible balance between staying true to this heritage brand's history and to its DNA while ensuring that it still feels fresh and relevant to this very day. Erin is a force, an icon and a leader, just like her grandmother, and I am eternally grateful for the generosity with which she shared both her and her family's stories. In this conversation, Erin shares some of her favourite memories and lessons from her grandmother, the pressure that comes from having your name attached to such an iconic brand and her advice for anyone looking to start their own business. Now, I start every single interview with this question, but given your family, I'm particularly excited to hear your answer to this one. What is your very, very earliest memory of beauty? My earliest memory of beauty is probably fragrance. And I think it was actually my grandmother. When she would enter a room or a car, the whole space would smell like this beautiful fragrance. And I think it was actually the beautiful fragrance itself because she worked on it for many, many years. And it was obviously the fragrance um, full of roses. So it was probably this rose scented beautiful fragrance. That was probably my first memory and my first kind of encounter with beauty. Now you are very detail oriented as evidenced by your work on the Erin brand, which of course we will get to very shortly. Were you like this as a child though? Have you always had this eye for detail and for design? Um, Ever since I was a little girl, I've always loved design. I always say, you know, my dollhouse was my favorite toy. And if I could still play with one today, I would. I remember I used to love to change the different um, settings for different seasons, summer, holidays, Christmas. Um, And so for me, I've always loved home and design. And even as a little girl, I used to walk on the beach, collect shells, bring them back from trips and put them on my desk. So I was always, you know, kind of very much intrigued by home and the concept of lifestyle. Is so interesting because a lot of our beauty items um, are inspired by, you know, wonderful home, home items and therefore they all kind of intertwine and become this lifestyle concept. Of course, you've mentioned your grandmother. What were some of the earliest lessons that you learned from observing her? Esty was an amazing grandmother and she taught me so much about passion, hard work, loving what you do. And she used to always say, I didn't get here by dreaming of it. I got here by working for it. And it's so true. And she 
really was very much about intuition. And she used to always say, a woman knows what a woman wants. And I think Esty really taught me to have dreams and to follow your dreams. Now, of course, I want to talk about you, but there is one story about your grandmother that I would love to hear from you because it's one of my personal favourite stories of all time. So I'm being selfish here. But the smashed bottle of youth dew, can you please tell this story? Because it's my absolute favourite. Of course, Esty was a brilliant marketer. And one famous story was when she was launching Youth Dew Fragrance, which was actually a bath oil. And it was positioned as a bath oil so women would feel um, the power to be able to purchase it for themselves. Because at the time, many women did not buy fragrance for themselves. They waited for a husband or a boyfriend um, or a family member to buy it for them. Um, and she was brilliant because she didn't really, she couldn't afford to sample the fragrance. So she went to a store with Saks Fifth Avenue and she took Youth Dew and spilled it all over the floor on the first floor. And when everyone walked in, they kept on saying, what is that amazing smell? That is so beautiful. What is it? And it was her way of kind of easy, inexpensive way of sampling youth do. And it was the most brilliant move. And Saks was the first account that she launched in. And still to this day, whenever we launch a fragrance, we always launch it at Saks Fifth Avenue. I love that. She was the original beauty rebel. She was. I mean, she really, you know, she used to always say a woman knows what a woman wants. And it's such a great story. She was launching in the UK and um, they were at Harrods. And this beautiful old Bentley drives up and this woman comes out and it was the lady in waiting for the queen who had her bounce back card for her gift with purchase. And Esty said, I, you know, a woman knows what a woman wants and every woman always loves a little gift, even if they're the queen. And she was so right. I love that. Now, I read that your very first job upon graduating from the University of Pennsylvania was working at Prescriptives, which was an Estee Lauder brand that closed in January of 2010, if my research serves me. But was working for the Estee Lauder companies always part of the plan? When you were younger, had you thought that that might be where you'd end up? I've always loved beauty and I've always loved my family. So for me, it was a wonderful next step after university to work with my family in the beauty industry. And I started a prescriptive since my uncle was very smart and he felt that prescriptive was a very small brand, a very new brand. And he thought it was an incredible group of talented executives. And he thought it'd be a great place for me to learn about all different parts of the business. If I had gone to a much larger brand, I would have been focusing on product development and skincare. But at prescriptives in the marketing department, I was exposed to Christmas and fragrance and retail, you know, visits. And it was just a really wonderful way for me to have kind of a really solid introduction to the beauty industry. I think it's it's worth touching on because people might not be aware of the company structure because really you were working for what is essentially a small business under the umbrella of a much larger one. You don't suddenly get plucked out and you're working for this multinational. There are other brands within that family. Yes, there is. I mean, there are, excuse me, um, my uncle had a wonderful idea. You know, in 1946, Estee created Estee Lauder. And soon after, Clinique was created because it was the concept of, you know, a hyperallergenic, fragrance-free brand. So Clinique and Estee Lauder were very, very different. And from there, they started incubating other brands. But my uncle had a vision of purchasing brands that were kind of great product, great concepts, strong management and we worked together with these brands and helped launch them internationally because we had such wonderful relationships with all of these international retailers and so we purchased mac and bobby brown and joe malone so within the sd lauder companies there's quite a few companies and brands and because of that it's a great place to work because you really there is something really for everyone 
Now, that was your first job after graduating, but am I right in saying that your first job as a teenager was actually at New York's Museum of Modern Art? It was. I worked in the archive section and um, I worked for this woman named Rona Roop and my parents had been involved with the museum for many, many years. My father joined the board when he was probably in his 30s. And it's a beautiful museum, wonderful history, incredible art. And um, as I mentioned earlier, I'm very visual. I love, you know, my major in university was communications and I majored in visual communications, which include fine arts, art history. So for me to work at the museum was kind of a wonderful experience. This might be a stretch, but were there any lessons that you learnt there working at the museum that you find you're applying to your work now? Well, just the idea of attention to detail. When you walk the museum, every corner is perfect, every piece of artwork is hung with perfection. And I think that that's something that I've taken with me in every job that I've ever had. And Esty used to have this wonderful quote where she would say, it's her name on the bottle. It has to be the best it can possibly be. And that's something that I think about every day after launching my Aaron brand. It's always, it has to be perfect. Absolutely. Now, I understand that you worked in a number of different departments across the SD Lauder companies prior to your appointment as creative director. You worked in marketing, advertising, merchandising, product development, just a, just a couple of small jobs here and there. Which positions did you find to be the most challenging and which role resonated with you the most? Well, I actually loved all the different positions because I was able to learn so much. I think product development to me was quite challenging because it was new. And, you know, working on a lipstick formula or a skincare formula or fragrance was something that was very new to me, but also very exciting. And I had a wonderful mentor who really taught me so much about beauty. And we used to travel together. It was really fun when you were saying earlier that you, um, Australia Fashion Week has just started. We used to go to the fashion shows together in Paris and Milan, and we would see all the trends. And at the time, this was before, you know, style.com and the internet and Instagram, and we would go to confirm that the color collections we were doing were on trend. So for me, it was really exciting and also very nerve wracking to make sure that our colors were right. We would work with, you know, textile um, people and learn different trends that were gonna be coming in, you know, within the industry. And then I have to say being creative director at Estee Lauder was probably the most exciting job because it really, was everything that touched the customer. It was the advertising, the packaging, the store, the model. Um, It was just a wonderful, wonderful experience. And it was, you know, constant storytelling. You've provided me with the perfect segue because I did want to hear more about that time and your time as vice president at Estee Lauder as well. Firstly, how did it feel? This is a broad one, but how did it feel to take on a role with so much history? Well, you know, actually... When I first got the position as creative director, the first thing I did do was go to the archives. And Amazing. when we worked with Tom Ford, the first thing he wanted to do was go to the SD Letter archives because they're so rich and incredible information, packages, copy, um, memories. And, you know, I was very much inspired by the past. And if you look at some of my earlier campaigns I worked on, there was a sense of this like timeless elegance that I brought back to the advertising. And I thought it was a really exciting time. You know, the first model I signed was Carolyn Murphy. Mm-hmm. And we're just celebrating 20 years with her. And some of the shots we did from the test shoot are these really iconic images that were very much inspired by images from the past. So you visit the archives, you start, you know, revisiting the past. What were some of perhaps the changes that you made when you stepped into that position? Well, the first change I made was I added Carolyn Murphy to the yeah. model. And then, you know, as we started um, 
exploring the different ideas, we brought in multiple faces. And we also brought in a celebrity. We brought in um, Gwyneth Paltrow for Pleasures, which was really exciting. It was the beginning of this celebrity obsession. And she was the perfect face for the brand. Um, she was all American, pretty easy in the fragrance she was representing, which is so interesting. Now, when you think about Goop, there is this kind of effortless, easy, natural look to her, which is really authentic to who she is. And that's what she was representing in Pleasures. It was that fragrance, that beautiful floral fragrance. It was a sheer package, sheer fragrance. It was the beginning of that kind of wonderful sheer florals that were a trend that still continue. And, you know, it was just very exciting to be able to make um, changes to a brand and impact so many consumers and, you know, have their experiences really show how much they love the brand. And it was, you know, I really, one thing I also loved doing was going to the stores and meeting with the different customers. I felt like that was a wonderful way to learn more about what people really want. I didn't realize that you were going to the stores and meeting the customers that early on in that role. That's amazing. We did. I mean, you know, at Christmas time was a time that everyone always used to say, go and visit the stores because they are the most busy and you really can learn a lot about a customer and what she's looking for. And I loved to see people's reactions. And, you know, one wonderful thing I learned about store visits was you would look at the fragrances and the ones that were most used up were the most popular that people would be trying. So, you know, you learn these wonderful little tips and tricks and it was a great few years. You stepped away from that role in 2012 with the launch of Erin, but to this day remain Estee Lauder's style and image director. Directing a heritage brand, given that the company was founded in 1946, it must come with a few challenges, namely staying true to the brand's ethos some 75 years on, which is a task you've absolutely succeeded with. But how have you managed to maintain that brand DNA while simultaneously ensuring that it does feel really fresh and modern and I guess most importantly still relevant? Well, my biggest challenge was maintaining the heritage and the concept and the brand DNA, but at the same time making it modern. And that was the challenge any creative director has. And I think mostly what I did was focus on, you know, for example, Carolyn Murphy. She was the new face of Estee Lauder. She was beautiful. She was elegant. She was supposedly looking like, you know, Grace Kelly and Karen Graham, who was the Estee Lauder model for so many years. And making her modern, we would, you know, put her in jeans. We'd put her in a really kind of pretty bikini at the beach. So there are ways of making a brand modern while still maintaining the heritage. And the one thing my uncle always taught me, which is so true, and I really believe in it, is he would say, when you look at an image, if you can cover the the logo and know what it is, it's a strong image. And that was something very, very important to me when I was doing the advertising to make sure that it was always Estee Lauder. I love that advice. That's important for, for any business, really. Exactly. And, you know, the advertising was very lifestyle. Estee was one of the first... Um, brands to do lifestyle advertising for beauty. And if you look at some of the earlier ads, there sometimes weren't even product in it. It would be a beautiful woman in a garden. And that was something I felt very strongly about. So when we would do these beautiful shots and making it more contemporary would be maybe shooting it in a very contemporary home in Los Angeles. But still the woman was in a beautiful pair of pants and a sweater or a silk shirt. So she looked very classic Estee Lauder. I do love that that way of marketing something, particularly fragrance, because you can't just put an advertisement out that says, these are the notes in the fragrance. It has to be about them connecting to a feeling. Totally. People always say you smell a fragrance with your mind, you know, not your nose in the beginning. It's the image. It's the world. It's do you want to experience that and feel that way? So fragrance is very, very powerful. 
On that note, the Estee Lauder brand is celebrating 75 years this year, which is very exciting. I have heard whispers that there are plans to recognise that milestone over the coming couple of months. Are you able to reveal any more around how you might be celebrating? I mean, I wish I could, but I cannot tell you. It's an amazing secret and I've been very involved with it and there's wonderful surprises ahead. We'll keep our eyes peeled. It would be remiss of me to not try. (laughs) You could try, but I can't tell you. How do you select people to work with you that you believe are able to carry on that legacy that you've talked about? I've heard you speak in previous interviews about the importance of really surrounding yourself with the right people. So how does that process work for you? Well, I think it's important, obviously, to be surrounded by talent, but I also think honesty. You know, there's a great story. There was a woman named Karen Corey who just recently retired, and she did fragrance development for many, many years. And in the end, she was really working exclusively with me and Tom Ford. And she was interviewed by Estee many, many years ago. And she goes into Estee's office, and Estee had two fragrances, a good one and a bad one. And she handed the bad one to Karen Corey and said, what do you think? And Karen said, oh, no, I'm going to tell Estee Lauder I don't like this fragrance. And she said, you know, I'm going to tell her, I've got to be honest. And Estee said, you're hired because you were honest and you do have a good nose because it's not good and you had the strength to tell me. And I think that that's something that I really look for in my team. And starting my brand in 2012, you know, the first thing I did was I had to hire a completely new team. So it was very separate from Estee Lauder. And I have a wonderful group of people that I work with who I really trust and they're incredible partners for me and I couldn't do what I do every day without them. Hiring on honesty, I love that. That's another thing that's really important across every industry. Yeah, definitely. I mean, for me, yes, especially. So 2012, you launch your namesake brand, Erin. Talk me through what led to that launch. What did you feel was missing from the existing beauty offering? Well, you know, it was interesting. As creative director of Estee Lauder, I held a position you know, the responsibility of guiding the brand, leading the brand, developing the brand. But at the same time, I was still the granddaughter of Estee. So I was forever doing interviews about the brand and her. And, you know, people were always saying, what is in your makeup bag? What are the one the things you can't live without? And I was constantly asked this question. And I thought there was an opportunity in the marketplace to do a kind of effortless, easy edit of beauty with a story behind it. And um, it was an interesting concept. And I also love the idea of exploring elements that go with beauty, such as lifestyle elements of a vase or a makeup bag or a hairbrush and comb. And it was very exciting because I really felt that there was a missed opportunity for something feminine and modern with wonderful you know, stories behind it. And in the past few years, we really have seen that that customer is gravitating towards that. They, they love the idea of history and memories mixed with like a modern sensibility. Well, it comes back to what we were saying about marketing and that it is an all-encompassing thing. It's a lifestyle rather than just integrating one product into your routine and then dusting your hands of it and calling it a day. It is It becomes part of you. Exactly. And we're seeing that the woman, you know, now more than ever, people are shopping online, obviously. There's been all these articles written about that in the past year. And we're, we're seeing that this customer is shopping cross-category. She goes onto our website, she buys a fragrance, she goes onto our, you know, to, to buy a vase and maybe some plates or napkins. And we're really seeing that she is embracing this lifestyle concept. Now, you mentioned that the original idea was to launch with an edit, a capsule of sorts of the beauty essentials. So you launched with a lip conditioner, body cream, bronzer, and a handful of palettes. 
fragrance right. came soon thereafter, about five or so fragrances. I'm always really, really fascinated by the product development process, particularly when it comes to scent. So how does this process work for you? Do you begin with a mood or a theme or do you begin with a specific fragrance? How do you go about selecting all of these different elements and putting them together? Well, that's a great question. I mean, fragrance development is very complicated. And we usually start off with a mood board, a visual mood board, and we will discuss what we were what we're trying to achieve. Because when you say summer to you, it's different from summer to someone else. Like your summer in Australia is very different than my Long Island summer. So what we do is we usually work with different perfumers and we will talk about a lilac fragrance inspired by easy, casual, a bike ride, a walk along a path, and we'll show them these visual cues. And from there, we'll then start smelling different lilac notes. And some we love and some we don't love. Some might be too earthy, some might be too sweet, some might be too strong. And it's almost quite like cooking. And then the perfumer kind of goes back and mixes these wonderful notes together. And then they come back and you do a series of sessions where you're smelling the fragrance on skin and on blotters on a piece of paper, and then you wear it yourself. So it's, it usually takes about a year to develop a fragrance and there's wonderful working names. And, you know, it's, it's a wonderful experience because when, when it's right, you know, it's right. It's almost like having a baby, you wait and you wait. And then this kind of wonderful surprise masterpiece comes and it's a really and it's funny because there's nothing i make makes me happier is when i wear a fragrance that i've worked on and someone will say to me that smells so pretty or i love it and i think there's something really special about that i suppose that's where having such an honest team is really important as well because otherwise they would be smelling all of these different combinations and just saying yes this is great to all of them very true actually that's funny that you said that that's very true and i think that's why you really need to work with a great team who you trust because and you know fragrance is interesting it smells different on everyone and a lot of the stories behind the fragrances are wonderful memories and you know it's really you have to be very authentic and true to who you are so that's the the product development process for fragrance, obviously very top level. We won't go through a year of work, but how does the product development process differ for the rest of the Air and Beauty collection? You've released now something to the tune of 28 fragrances, over 100 beauty products. Are you constantly thinking about what's going to come next or are you working off consumer demand? Is it a combination of both? How does that work for you? We actually do more you know, we work quite far in advance and we do not as much consumer demand, but we really do look at a franchise and see what does well and how to build on it. A perfect example is Mediterranean Honeysuckles, one of our fragrances inspired by Capri, and it's one of our best-selling fragrances around the world. And we knew it had an opportunity to keep telling the story. So we just recently, last month, came out with Mediterranean Honeysuckle in bloom, which is a kind of a twist on it, is a bit more honey and gardenia. And, you know, you could take something and develop it further. I mean, Estee Lauder is the best and the best of creating franchises. And, you know, we really do know that our rose essentials are great. People love them. As you said, we started with lip conditioner and the rose hand and body cream. And we want to keep adding to them products that people desire. So it's a combination. I would love to talk a little bit more about Air and Home, which you've touched on as it is such an important facet of your brand and a rather large one at that with something like 320 plus products what prompted the launch of that skew and 
had that always been a part of your plan? Well, I've, as I said earlier, I've always loved home. Home was probably yeah. a category that I'm forever inspired by and love making a home a home. And, you know, the elements that I think are important in a home, trays, picture frames, full of beautiful memories, vases with fresh flowers. These were all elements that I wanted to include in the brand. And I really felt there was an opportunity for a lifestyle brand that was feminine and heritage inspired, but with a slight modern twist. And if you look at our products, they all have that sensibility. You know, they're effortless, they're easy. The lighting is kind of, it's affordable, it's beautiful, it feels artisanal. And the same goes with the other categories. You know, we have a huge business in games. And it's interesting, people really come to us for hostess gifts and games and trays and vases. So we've become known for that. And um, it's been very exciting to see the results. Thank you for highlighting the importance of trays and vases. I'm in the middle of renovating a home and I needed to explain to my partner, these elements are very important and he didn't understand. So I just handed him your beautiful book on entertaining and I said, just have have a look at this. And now he understands. Well, you know, so we have you to thank. that you say that because I actually think people always are, you know, questioning what to get someone as a gift. And I think there's nothing more special than a frame with a photograph in it. And that's always my go-to gift when I'm trying to, you know, kind of can't quite think of what to do. And I think that puts a smile on anyone's face, whether it's a grandmother or mother, you put children in it, or, you know, a good friend, a memory from a trip or an experience. I think there's something really special. So I do think these elements that are in our brand, you know, games that you spend time as a family playing together, a tray for entertaining, as I said, frames to, you know, capture memories. So I think they're all the elements that make a home a home. And definitely putting a picture in the frame. Nothing breaks my heart more than going to someone's house or their office and they've just got the stock image oh. still sitting in the frame. That's, yeah, oh. that's not great. <laughs> what was it like moving from a heritage brand to what was in essence a startup, obviously within the Estee Lauder companies, but a startup in the grand scheme of things? How did the creative director role differ as you moved from brand to brand and what were the challenges that creating a startup presented? Well, it was actually quite similar. You know, I really based a lot mm -hmm. of the products within the Aaron brand on my heritage. And the, the elements I brought with me were the sense of excellence, perfection, attention to detail, surprise, delight. Um, those were all words that I thought about all the time when I was creative director of Estee Lauder. And then when I went to create my own brand, you know, perfect pink packaging for the beauty. They all, the beauty products came in a beautiful pink suede pouch. The fragrances, if you look at the packaging, the cap, it looks as if it's like a piece of jewelry. Um, the patterns are all different. So a lot of the things I learned in my 25 years at Estee Lauder, I took with me and created the brand Aaron. In as much or as little detail as you wish, we don't expect you to give away too many trade secrets, but what would your advice be to anyone looking to start their own brand, whether that's in beauty, in home or in another industry entirely? Well, I think one thing that's very important is stay true to yourself and make sure you have a point of difference and make sure you're not a me too brand because there's so many brands out there and I think the consumer is savvier than ever. So they know when something's authentic. And I felt very strongly about having a certain style to the brand, a certain point of view. As I said, it was effortless beauty. There was heritage. It's very feminine. It's a pretty brand. You know, if someone, and it's very true to who I am, I really embrace the brand. And I, every product that we make, 
I want to live with or I want to wear. And I think that's something that's very important. So I would say my advice would be to stay true to who you are, be passionate and and work hard. I love that advice because I do feel as though there's this narrative of, you know, just get out there and do it. But you do need to think, okay, what's my point of difference? Am I doing this for the sake of doing the thing or am I doing it because it's something that's important to me? Exactly. Point of difference. You have been a part of the beauty industry really for your entire life and you've been part of the Estee Lauder companies for almost 29 years and you've sat at the helm of the Erin brand since 2012. Over the last, let's say, five to ten years, what have been some of the biggest changes that you have seen within the beauty industry? Well, I think just shopping online. I think what's interesting is that, Mm. you know, even this past year, seeing um, people shopping for things online that they normally wouldn't shop for, seafood, you know, certain beauty products. I think people have been taught now to shop in a new way. And I think the beauty industry also, as I said, the customers gotten savvier than ever. There's so much competition. There's so many Me Too brands, but at the same time, there's so much creativity. When you think about, you know, Tom Ford and Mac and Creme de la Mer, and Charlotte Tilbury, and even a brand that we recently acquired called Too Faced, really meant for teenagers. And everything is inspired by candy and chocolate. And can't tell a lie, I do love their lip glosses, and I keep them kind of hidden in my makeup bag. It makes me feel as if I'm 15 again. But I think that, you know, the beauty industry is constantly changing. And I think you really have to be on your toes, but it's, it's full of innovation. And what are some of the changes that you think we can expect to see over the next five or so years? Well, I think a change in retail. I think people are going to be gravitating towards smaller stores. I think people still love the department store experience, but they might do that more online. Um, I think, as I said earlier, the idea of surprise and delight and uniqueness. I think people are always looking for something special and different. Um, And I also think just skincare in general, you know, people are more stressed than ever. They're you know, they really, if you feel it in your skin, and I feel like there's so much amazing innovation that's out there. And I mean, I think even with Advanced Night Care, which was first launched in the 70s, they've had wonderful modifications of it and just recently launched a new version of it. So things that are good are getting even better. That new version is on my skin. I know. I even love the package. The whole (laughs) thing is so great. And, you know, that was one of the first shots I did with Carolyn Murphy was a Renutra, not a Renutra, I'm sorry, Advanced Night Care image. And we shot her in a beautiful nightgown. And one of the first images I saw in the archives was this very famous shot of, I think it was Karen Graham sleeping with Oreos and milk next to her bed. So I think that it's that concept of being inspired by the past and making it feel fresh and modern. I like that these are what you've listed as future changes, especially surprise and delight, because really that's what Esty was doing 75 years ago. She was. She was always ahead of her time. You know, I did an interview, I think, for the New York Times recently about fragrance, and we were talking about how Esty was, you know, the first woman to show a nude. You know, youth do the original ad was a beautiful silhouette of a woman's body. She put a woman in jeans. She did the sports fragrance. She did color stories. So I think being ahead of your time in innovation is very, very important. She was a rebel. She definitely was. <laughs> My final question, what is next for you and for the Erin brand? Well, we're having, um, you know, a lot on our plate right now. We just recently did a villa in Palm Beach at this Colony Hotel, which has been a huge success. So we're starting to work on some other concepts within that world of hotels and um, luxury vacation, which I think will come back once everyone 
can dream, you know, their yes. dreams can be um, fulfilled. Everyone's constantly talking about what's on your first trip that you want to go to when you can travel again. So we have that. And we've just launched a book called Entertaining Beautifully. So we've just reprinted it and we're excited to kind of launch it and travel and meet with different people and retailers. And that's going to be really exciting. And of course, fragrance. Fragrance continues to be a huge um, part of the business. And we're coming out with a new fragrance in the fall. And we have another really exciting one coming out this spring, which I am just finalizing the social media for. And I'm very, very excited. That was Erin Lauder, founder and creative director of Erin and style and image director of Estee Lauder. To read this interview, you can visit glowjournal.com. And for more beauty news, you can find me on Instagram at gemkwatts or at glow.journal. If you liked this episode, please do not forget to subscribe, rate, review and share so other beauty lovers can find us. I'm Gemma Watts. You've been listening to the Glow Journal podcast and thank you for joining me. Thank you.